GracePod is a ministry of Grace Church Greenwich. For more resources to help you get to know God better through his word, including bite-sized theology and answers to big questions, do check out www.greenwich.church. We hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to GracePod and today we're looking at Ephesians chapter 6 verses 1 to 9. And as we look at these two paragraphs about children and parents, and then about servants and masters. And we can see lots of it is um, in parallel. So children, obey your parents. Bond servants, obey your masters. There's a command to the one who's to submit. And then in both cases, there's a command to the person at the other side of the relationship, the father and the master. And um, I'm going to read it, but look out for that repetition. And also look out for the repetition of Christ and the Lord, because it comes again and again. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honour your father and your mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. Not in the way of eye service, as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he's bondservant or is free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master or their Lord and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him so these two relationships will take the children and masters sorry children and fathers first and he bases his commandment to children on the um, commandment in the old testament in the ten commandments um, honor your father and your mother and then he gives this promise attached to it and it seems like wow i mean whether or not you obey your parents is the key to whether you have a long life or not so um is this just about, you know, when your children, when your parents tell you to go to bed, go to bed, when they tell you to eat your Brussels sprouts, eat your Brussels sprouts, or is there something more going on, Andrew? Yeah. So it's, he says, um, he quotes the fifth out of the Ten Commandments, that it may go well with you and you live long in the land. And in the original context, that is about um, a covenant. So they're at Sinai. It's like a marriage between God and Israel. And part of um, the terms of the covenant um, are that they're going to be given the land, but if they're uh, disobedient as a nation in a, in a severe way, they will be vomited out of the land. They'll be sent into exile. And out of all the Ten Commandments, the one that gets underlined as the one that will be really key to protecting the nation in the land is this one, that the intergenerational faithfulness. Um, and obeying fathers and mothers isn't just so that you have nice, well-behaved families. It's part of a context of this is how um, over generations um, the people of God can remain faithful to God. This is a key, um, yeah, a, a key part of um, how the uh, biblical faithfulness remains, not just for one generation, but in the long term. Uh, maybe we, we don't realise what a big strand this is in the Old Testament, that what is believed by fathers is to be taught to children or believed by mothers is to be taught to children for the sake of the next generation but it really is pertinent isn't it even today so let me read a few verses from deuteronomy chapter six 
Um, Deuteronomy 6 verse 1, this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you're going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, that your days may be long. So that's the same language, your days may be long in the land. Here, therefore, O Israel, be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Here, O Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your might. And these words I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. So, um, and then later at the end of the chapter, um, chapter chapter 6, verse 20 of Deuteronomy, when your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. So evangelizing your children is built into the covenant. And that is the key. So when it says live long in the land, it's not just so much how long will my life be until I die, but how many generations will we live here until we're cut off and apostate and fall away? Yeah. And I remember as a, just a young parent um, discovering this for the first time, not just the instruction side of it, because I, I kind of knew that, you know, parents are to teach the children the truth. Um, but in verse four, it says, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And it's, it's the whole thing is relevant to the child's salvation. And I think... You get this in other places in the Bible, Proverbs 23. Uh, let me read verse 13. Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with a rod, he will not die. If you strike him with the rod, you will save his soul from Sheol. And again, the idea is proper discipline in the home isn't just, you know, to bring up nice middle class, you know, children with table manners. Um, it's to save them from hell. So actually, the, the the job of a parent is very, very significant. And I, I think this is so important for us. Um, obviously, instruction, we need to be opening the Bible with, with children. But um, it's a very significant thing we do every part of um, discipline. It's not just, you know, sanctions when things go wrong, but discipline from just, you know, every part of the child's life when you wake them up, when um, when they go to bed. This is all disciplining their life. And you're encouraging them either towards the Lord and to a, a, a spirit of I obey authority. I, I recognize that blessing and obedience go together. All these things are learnt in the home and then carried into the Christian life. Um, and uh, it means that, you know, rather than the young mum who's, you know, I was so involved in, in Christian ministry, but now I've got a baby. And then this verse says, oh, no. Uh, this is Christian ministry. You've got an mm. eternal soul in your arms and your job is instruction and discipline that will save this child and it matters. Mm. And then verse four, fathers do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So there's a command to the children to obey, but then the command to the fathers not to kind of abuse the position of authority, which is, I think it's wonderful, wonderfully balanced, isn't it? That, Authority is good, but authority can be abused. And um, Paul's conscious of both dangers of insubordination, um, but also dominance, domineering. Um, we talked about this, um, you and I, about why he addresses only fathers. Because in the Old Testament, fathers and mothers 
bring up their children to know the Lord. And you had some thoughts on why fathers particularly here. Yeah, so I was struck how symmetrical it is in, in Proverbs often, you know, father and mother, father and mother. And then um, I wondered whether, I mean, it flows straight out of chapter five, which is uh, specifically talking about husbands as heads. And so it's a natural thing that um, just on on theme that if as heads take a particular role, fathers is your responsibility ultimately. And I wonder whether another part of it is that fathers are particularly prone to be sinning in this area. So um, often dads will say, oh, well, bring up the children's, that's mum's job. And so they need to, to realise, no, no, really it is yours. Um, and their particular sins are probably provoking the child to anger. That's something that fathers are particularly um, guilty of. And so they need to be addressed with it. So the way the verse works don't provoke your children to anger but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the lord i take it that um the the thing that will make the second half of the verse impossible it's very hard for my children to receive discipline and instruction from me if i'm not being uh, a good dad so you know all the ways i can provoke them are you know, if I have give them unnecessary commands or if I'm selfish or if I'm overbearing or if I'm irritable. Actually, mm. I think children are particularly sensitive to unfair standards. Like you, you, there's a fight between them. You just go and blame the one who normally is in the wrong. You know, that sort of thing really does provoke children. Mm. Um, and uh, that all of that will stop me from doing the second half, which is what I'm called to. And so I must be really careful about it. Then we come on to um, servants and masters and uh, we notice lots of parallels. So it's the same imperative. Servants obey, children obey. Um, They both have a future promise. So children, you'll go well with you in the land. But here there's the talk of a reward. Um, And then also the authority figure is addressed, just like fathers are addressed, so masters are addressed. So there's lots that's parallel about it. But almost before we get into it, we have to name the elephant in the the room, which is, well, I think I've got the American ESV on my computer here, which is bond servants. And I think in the English ESV it has slaves. And you can understand why the American translators have just avoided putting the word slaves in, but it is actually the Greek word slaves. Um, and that's such a shocking thing in our culture that we can almost not hear anything else that Paul says. Do you want to reflect on that? Yeah, and I think it is worth being aware how this falls on different ears. And especially, you know, for some people, this you can't get any further in the passage if this is your heritage. And we, we do need to talk about these things. Um, and I think, you know, the first thing to be really clear on is this isn't an endorsement of Greco-Roman slavery. Um, there's lots of places where the Bible just assumes a sinful world and then says, here's what you do in the midst of it. So, mm. you know, Nero was emperor. He was an absolute thug. And yet Peter says, Sub, you know, uh, honour him. That's not because it's an endorsement of him. It's because, well, this is what you do. It's like what Jesus says about divorce, isn't it? Because of your hardness of heart, God gave you this commandment. So God's word is written into the real world and it's realistic. Exactly. And when we when we kind of zoom out, I mean, in Old and New Testament, man stealing uh kidnapping and and enslaving it's it's always condemned um and it's interesting though that um in the context that that the gospel was going out in the early church what paul doesn't do is what maybe we hope 
instinctively he might do, which is, you know, to say, oh, this is such a terrible evil. Um, slaves, let's rise up. Uh, or, you know, if you're a Christian and you're a master, you must immediately release uh, your slaves. And he, what he does do is the one place where freeing a slave is in view. This is in Philemon. He does appeal to Philemon to treat Anesimus as he would treat Paul. So the, the idea is that he should release him. But that's not a blanket rule. And um, Paul is quite, I, I love the way the New Testament puts the, the main thing, the main thing, you know, come to Christ, receive him. Um, and then the other things, actually, as the gospel takes effect, it does undermine the, the concept of any kind of slavery. And in time, we saw that in Europe, um, you know, the, the uh, anti-slavery was all driven by um, believers um, using their Bibles. Um, but it do, it's not the first thing that Paul tells an unbeliever. It, it comes out later, um, which is just a, just interesting to see. And as we look at these verses, I guess but the one thing we mustn't do is use being cross about slavery as a way excuse to dodge the command here. Because you could say, look, if even slaves are called to obedience, you know, people who are not in a voluntary situation of employment, and yet still they are to see the opportunity to honour Christ in their workplace. If it, it's true of them, it, it must be even more true of people with the you know, privileges that we have in, in workplaces. And that works the flip side as well. If, if even slave masters are meant to treat their slaves well, and there's no legal reason they should, um, yeah, how much more if you're an employer, to, you know, it, it goes double for us. Um, so, yeah, let's let's get into what is... Uh, well, what what is ruled out here, would you say, Andrew, in five to seven? Well, I think that we we saw that repetition of the Lord, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord, and Christ, Christ, Christ. So the thing that transforms the workplace is being conscious of Christ. And then he contrasts how would you behave if you were conscious of Christ compared with how would you behave if you were only conscious of your earthly master? And, you know, we all know that if the boss is away... Great, it's an easier day. I don't, you know, there's no one watching over me. And um, Paul thinks, yeah, there is someone watching over you, namely the Lord Jesus. And so it should be kind of irrelevant whether a human boss is watching over you. So verse six, not by the way of eye service, i.e. before the eyes of, of men and um, people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ. And Christ sees the heart and he wants us to be willing to obey him. Verse seven, rendering service with the goodwill as to the Lord and not to man. And I, I love this because let's say, I mean, you don't get a lot of choice always at work about what you have to do. You know, we all have things we don't enjoy that are part of our daily job. And I guess that's true of first century slaves as well. You know, you've got to mop the floor again and it looked clean already, but it's your job and it's, you know, it's tedious. But even tedious things can be made beautiful here because they end up being an opportunity to serve Christ, your master, he sees. And and not only does he see, he also rewards. So verse eight, whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether bond servant or free. Now, often we're nervous about rewards because we think surely salvation is by grace. We don't earn it. It's for free. It's from Jesus. And well, of course, it's true. And it's a big theme of Ephesians, you know, by grace, we've been saved through faith, chapter two, verse eight. But at the same time, um, we mustn't sort of so deny earning salvation, which is right, that we don't have a place for earning rewards. 
So how do we fit those two together? Salvation is not earned, but rewards from Jesus can be. And I think if you um, think of God as our Father, it, it, it's well, it seems natural to me that um, my children don't merit being in our family. They are in our family just by virtue of, um, you know, the, the way things are. And, and God adopts us and enfolds us in his family, not because of our brilliance, it's just uh, because of Christ. And yet once you're in the family, a good father does encourage good behavior and reward it and recognize it. And um, and that's what our father does with us. And and so it's not just a kind of a clever mind trick. You know, imagine your, your boss is David Brent, but imagine he's Jesus <laughs> and treat him as you would Jesus. And you can kind of do that mind trick. But it's actually behind David Brent really is Jesus. And when you treat him, Brent, well, Jesus will reward you and, and in a practical and um, real way. Like I, I've, I think I first learned this in Luke 14 where Jesus says, who you invite to dinner matters and because you'll be uh, rewarded at the resurre- resurrection of the righteous. So he's saying even very in very concrete and practical and itemized ways, the little things are noticed by our master and will be specifically rewarded and that really revolutionizes all kinds of parts of life because there's nothing wasted he sees he, he and he's a good master um i think the thing that i in this verse find most challenging is, is that bit in verse five with a sincere mm. heart because mm. it's a little bit like the word submission that is wives are called to it's it's much harder to submit actually than to obey because i can obey begrudgingly but to do something with a sincere heart is a battle because I've got mm. to work on my own heart to, you know, I, I may not feel like honoring him, but I've got to find a way to honor him because God has put him or her in a position of authority and I need to respect that. Mm. Um, and then I love how in the Bible there's on the one hand submission and then on the other hand equality. And we just can't combine those in our in our Western mindset. It doesn't make sense to put those together. It's one of the reasons why people find Ephesians 5 so offensive. You know, wives submit to your husbands. What are you saying that the woman is less important than the man? Like, no, we're not saying that. Because in the Bible, you can combine equality with ordering. And you get that here. So masters, um, stop threatening, knowing that him who's both their Lord and yours so yes, there's an asymmetry in the way that you're ordered in, in the workplace and you're the boss and this person's working for you. But before the Lord, you are both subjects of, of the Lord Jesus. And so um, I think that's a challenge to us that we, we mustn't view asymmetrical submission relationships as an indication of inequality before the Lord. It's just that God has ordered the world in this this kind of way. Yeah. And, and this idea of master's not threatening, and I guess... Just to broaden it, there's all, all kinds of ways we might abuse authority. And, and if we're in a position of authority, we it can be overbearing or we can be manipulative or use coercion and so on. And yet the, the argument in this verse is um, don't get on the wrong side of God when you, as in he will be on the side of fairness, whether you, whether you might be the Christian. I, I was noticing in this, actually, we were in Grace Church looking at Genesis 16 and Hagar, who we think, you know, is probably a pagan woman, um, an Egyptian, and she's treated harshly by the believer, by Sarai, and God's on the side of Hagar and goes after her and speaks tenderly to her. And and this verse is saying, look, um, 
if you treat your slave harshly, I'm going to be on their side. You may be the believer, sure, but there's no partiality with the Lord. So just don't get on the wrong side of the Lord. Yeah. It's like, it's almost a threat, isn't it? Stop your threatening because you don't want to mess with God. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. Here's a threat for you. Yeah. Um, thanks very much, Andrew. Thank you for listening to Grace Pod. For more information about Grace Church Greenwich, visit www.greenwich.church.